Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Governor Rauner has never been the darling of the conservatives in the Illinois Republican Party, but he angered them when he signed House Bill 40, which expands abortion coverage for poor women. Speculation that the governor's action would trigger a primary challenge has given way to reality. Outspoken State Representative Jeannie Ives has launched a campaign, and she's here to talk about it. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is Jeannie Ives. The Wheaton resident has been state representative from the 42nd District since 2012. Ms. Ives is a West Point graduate, class of 1987. She started a family and became a Wheaton City Council member, among other jobs, after her stint in the U.S. Army. In the Illinois General Assembly, she's been a strong voice on matters of the budget, education, and more. Now she is running for governor, hoping to unseat Bruce Rauner in the 2018 Republican primary. Jeannie Ives, welcome. Thank you for having me here. Um, challenging a city, sitting governor in your own party and someone who has more than $60 million in his campaign fund is no small matter. What makes this a realistic goal? For many, this would seem like a daunting challenge, uh, especially given the money and how important money is, unfortunately, now in politics just to get your message out. But I'll tell you what, I've heard from around the state, from conservative activists to uh, just your run-of-the-mill citizens who are very frustrated with business as usual down in Springfield. And Governor Rauner, unfortunately, has bought into that business as usual. You know, when he he decided he was going to be a conservative reform governor, and he's been nothing, he has not done that. He's not held up to that title and that mantle that he wanted. So... I was drafted. People from around the state called me immediately after the signing of HB 40 and said, we need an alternative to Governor Rauner. Uh, And it's across the board. It's not just conservatives. It's not just social conservatives. Fiscally, this governor has failed. He has failed the state of Illinois, and I'm ready to take that challenge on. Well, And just so people don't, I mean, I want to deal with HB 40, but first let's talk about the campaign in general. This is not a one-issue campaign. This is not all about an abortion vote. What else do you feel Bruce Rauner has done wrong? Well, thanks for bringing that up because it's not a one-issue vote. It's not the fact that he signed a brand-new open-ended entitlement program that is abortion on demand at any time during a pregnancy. It's not simply that fact. When he, you sign that type of program, when the state is fiscally a basket case and technically broke, it's not that one issue. There's a series of issues, a pattern of decisions he's made over the, really the past year that just show that he does not have the taxpayers' interest at heart and really the people. So you've got a sanctuary state bill that has angered many people um, because they see illegal immigration as a violation of federal law, and they don't think that we should be participating in that. You've seen things like uh, 
the signing of a massive bailout to uh, large public utility companies on the backs of ratepayers. Um, that was a failure, I think, in leadership. A small, nar- narrowed bill there would have been ideal, uh, but that's not what you got in in December of last year. You got a huge Christmas tree build full of goodies for special interests on the backs of ratepayers. Then you had, you know, most recently that education bill, which I know we're sitting in the heart of Chicago right now, but it was a bailout for mismanaged Chicago public schools on the backs of taxpayers statewide. And when Rahm Emanuel is up there saying we got everything we wanted and more, you know, it was a bad deal for state taxpayers. So Governor Rauner is being challenged because he's done this to himself. He's not stood up for conservative principles. And quite frankly, his policy agenda over the last year looks like something that came out of an Ivy League uh, professor instead of a conservative reform governor. Let's take a couple of these issues uh, one at a time. Let's first start with uh, HB 40. Uh, A lot of Republicans have characterized that House bill as a betrayal. but uh, Governor Rauner at one point did, in fact, say he would veto that bill. But didn't Republicans vote for Rauner originally knowing that he was a declared pro-choice uh, candidate? Uh, so, I mean, the, the people, the, the abortion rights advocates were the ones who said they were betrayed when he said he would veto the bill. Well, we were betrayed. He told our caucus members and even Cardinal Supich, that he would veto that bill. And but that was a change from the, the position that got him elected. Well, not necessarily. I distinctly remember, as do my colleagues, as do other Republicans downstate where he voiced his opinion, we distinctly remember him telling us that he was personally pro-life, but he understood the pro-choice movement. That's what I heard from him, and I'm not the only one who heard that. So um, I can show you 20 people who would s- sign an affidavit saying that's what they told he was they told him as well. So regardless, it doesn't matter. What we all heard was that he would have no social agenda, that he was coming down there to fix the problems fiscally that we had in the state of Illinois. And so we heard no social agenda. And you're talking about a Republican governor who has instate, instituted the most progressive social agenda in the United States, all in the span of one year. So, you know, that's what we have. He is not who he said he would be, and he has not done what he said he would do. Uh, let's take the, the so-called Trust Act, which uh, limits local law enforcement's cooperation with federal immigration authorities. That's a perfect exam- perfect statement about what that does. Yeah. And and the governor says this isn't a sanctuary state bill because it mandates cooperation with the feds if they have a warrant. That's not good enough. That's not good enough, because when you talk to your state's attorneys, what they all tell you is that it's it's not easy to get a warrant in the time frame necessary to not be in violation of this law. And so as my state's attorney in DuPage County explained it to me. I had a conversation with about this bill, by the way, because I go to the experts who have to deal with the law when I'm making decisions on the law. And he said it ruins the spirit of cooperation between local law enforcement and federal. I'm the last one who wants to interfere on any sort of cooperation we need to do to take uh, 
criminals off the streets. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about just the campaign in general, um, and then we'll get to some other issues a little bit later on. Uh, your petition drive yes. has gotten off to a bit of a rocky start uh, <laughs> because of, uh, as I understand it, a typo on the original petitions themselves. Yeah. Does that leave you in a, in a position of trying to play catch up now? I don't think so. Um, first of all, we've had an overwhelming and amazing response from people who have messaged me and texted me and called and, and asked for this online. Amazing response from folks around the state wanting my petition. And so we did have a, a hiccup here where it was inadvertently, there was a transposition of some numbers. So we did the right thing. We didn't hide from it. We took ownership of it. We put out a new petition, you know, three days later. And I've we've emailed everybody and nearly everybody I've heard from when I say, do you have the new petition? Oh yeah, we have the new petition. So we don't feel that this is going to be a challenge for us to get the 10,000 10, signatures. Of course, we're actively pursuing every lead to get that done, but we don't consider that a challenge. People are motivated, absolutely motivated. There's an energy in the room to get this done. You know, the other night we got 250 signatures at one event. You do repl- you can easily replicate that around the state, and we'll, I'm confident we'll be on the ballot. What's your deadline for uh, getting these signatures? Well, we'd like, you know, obviously by the filing date. So first week of December, you need to back that, back that up a little bit because you have to have lawyers check it out and bind it and all that. So, I mean, we'd like to get these signatures in uh, November 20th, but if we get them in a week after that, we'll still be fine. Okay. Um, and let's talk about fundraising because, let's face it, we're going to be talking about fundraising in, sure. this, in, in this race because it has the potential, almost the likelihood, to be the most expensive governor's race in the history of the country. Um, how much money... Do you need to take on a multimillionaire governor who has enough money to finance lawmakers' campaigns and has been doing it? I mean, are, are you, what are you going to need to make this uh, a strong effort? Well, substantially less than Governor Rauner is going to need to redeem his reputation. That's what I'll tell you. And he's going to spend a lot of money for high-priced consultants that will try and tell people, uh, make him out to be somebody who he isn't. Um, in our campaign, we're going to have to rely on a lot of earned media, which is why I'm on with you. And I appreciate <laughs> this opportunity to speak directly to the people. And we're going to have to rely on solid Republican voters who know that they have been taken advantage by a governor who did not do what he said he's going to do. And I believe that the people are with me. And if we can get our message out, we can actually transform the state of Illinois and take it out of the hands of uh, plutocrats and into the hands of the people. Sometimes because of just the way government works, money can be uh, scared away. Uh, sure. This is, this is a sitting governor. If he, is, if he manages to remain governor, some of the people who might otherwise want to donate to you, some corporate donors, might be afraid. Do you, do, how I've do already you con- heard that. Yeah. How do I've you, already heard that. How do you contend with that? Um, well, you know what? That's when you go back out and you do the Bernie Sanders idea of you're going to just going to get a bunch of smaller donations from the grassroots and from people because everybody who donates me that way and isn't a corporate giver every one of those guys is a solid vote including their the family behind that money there's solid votes in my column and governor rounder is not going to have that kind of a support what does it say of a man who throws 50 million dollars into his own race um to to just get elected so 
I mean, especially the Democrats. I mean, they are the biggest people to say, oh, we got to get money out of politics. We got to get money out of politics. You have nothing but one man's money buying this seat. And I think people are on to that. Well, let me ask the, uh, the campaign finance question straight up. Has it become too expensive for real people to run for election? I mean, do we need to look at the amount of money that's going into politics? We're, we're talking about a possibly $100 million race here. I know, and we're going to prove that you don't need $100 million to win the governor's race. That's what we're going to prove, and we're hope, hopeful that uh, from that, people will learn how to uh, will be have the confidence to run for election and garner that grassroots support that, you know, I hey, look, I'm probably going to have some corporate donor, donations myself. There's no doubt about that, and I hope to have those. It's just that the preponderance is not going to come from my own personal wealth. It's going to come from people who believe in our vision and our ideas and understand that I've been down in Springfield for five years now fighting for taxpayers and their interests. They're the last ones considered when legislation goes through Springfield, and I've been putting on that fight for five years. And I think that's going to resonate with people when they look at my record. Look, Governor Rauner has a record now in Springfield, and so do I. And I would invite people to look at the legislation I filed and the work that I have done across the aisle to change how business is done in Springfield and mainly putting taxpayers in that conversation. So um, I think that that message is going to resonate and I don't need $70 million to to put that message out. Um, You essentially, you agreed with Governor Rauner's original assessment of the school funding bill, because originally he called it a uh, bailout for Chicago. Yes. Uh, But then, uh, I guess, uh, from his perspective, he would say he compromised. Uh, And I guess the theory behind it is a rising tide lifts all ships, that yes, Chicago gets more money, schools across the state get more money. Is that not how governing is done? Well, that's how governing is done in, obviously, Springfield. But that bill is a disaster. And it's a, they once again made a promise that we will not keep in the future and is already getting changed as we speak. There are already trailer bills filed to that legislation because they didn't do things right. And already... That bill promised that the taxpayers statewide would push $350 million more into education from a state perspective every single year for the next 10 years. Last week, we got hold of Governor Rauner's budget plan and and, uh, forecast for the next five years. And only going into K-12 education from his own budget group is $200 million. Well, you have to have $350 million to actually comply with the formula that is 350,000 data points that affects every single school district that tiered people into particular funding amounts that they're going to get. You had to have $350 million to complete that entire formula build out. And when you don't have that money, only tier one or those most uh, further away from adequacy, we're really getting in the weeds here, those most needy schools are going to get filled. That leaves the preponderance of schools with actually no more additional money. And the big player in that tier one funding would be CPS. 
So any new money now is going to predominantly to CPS when you don't have that full allotment of $350 million. You lied to every other school district in the state of Illinois. The formula is over-complex uh, over for our needs, and it did not narrowly focus on those school districts truly in need, and they're around the state. And it's not CPS, by the way. You have the property wealth to handle your schools. It's just that, that wealth is hidden in TIF districts. It's hidden in an assessment uh, of property that is convoluted, not transparent, and has been the uh, brunt of accusations on being racially and minority prejudicial against uh, against those minorities versus large commercial owners. And we know that because Tribune did a huge trilogy of articles about there, and there's more coming out. You also know that Preckwinkle asked Berrios to do a report. Three months later, he's done nothing on taking control of this assessment issue. Your assessment problem in Cook County is detrimental to the entire rest of the state when it comes to school funding because you're hiding your wealth from us. Uh, just quickly before we uh, just... Uh, and they knew these them. problems ahead of time. I know this is complex, but it's super important that taxpayers understand what's going on. Are you advocating a property tax hike for Chicagoans? I don't think they need a property tax hike at all. Okay. I think no. You're saying that there's a property tax wealth in Chicago to... Uh, yes, and you hit it in, uh, you know hundreds of TIF districts, you know, that create a disparity where you're hiding about $6 billion in wealth in those TIF districts, okay? And then you're also, you have commercial properties. Let's give me, let me give you an example. In 2015, the Willis Tower sold for $1.3 billion. It's on the books with, uh, with Berrios for $579 million. 42% of its fair market value. They got a property tax reduction because they hired the right lawyers to get that production. When you do that, all the rest of that levy that it, it should go to people with a fair assessment value got spread to the residents and other commercial properties that did not hire a high-priced lawyer to get them that reduction. That's what I'm talking about. And it wouldn't take a property tax increase. It means being you know, fair about what you're doing with your sure. levy. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Republican State Representative Jeannie Ives, who is mounting a primary challenge to Governor Bruce Rauner. Um, you have... By the way, everything I just said, I, I everybody in Springfield knows, but they won't talk about it. Well... I suspect they'll be talking about it now. And you were and you were talking about trailer bills. Are any of the trailer bills that are following the school legislation aimed at correcting what you just said? No, not at all. Okay, um, uh, uh, Representative Ives, you are have been outspoken on social issues like abortion and gay marriage. Democrats, uh, should they be up against you? in November uh, 18, would say you are far out of the mainstream. How would you respond to that? I disagree with that. First of all, those two issues have already been settled law by the federal courts, so there won't be necessarily a change in it. But I don't believe and I know that the majority of taxpayers do not feel they should pay for abortions with tax dollars. And I know that the majority of taxpayers, if they understood that Planned Parenthood was not inspected in the state of Illinois... Um, and that they've had numerous medical emergencies, some related to death after an abortion, that they would be horrified to find out that they're not inspected. Uh, they're a surgical center. 
quite frankly, and they should be inspected, but they're not in our state. Um, you know, so I think that's more of a reasonable position if they're really about abortion being, you know, rare and, um, and safe, then they would want these things inspected, and they certainly wouldn't want taxpayers paying for it. And what do you say to the governor's argument that if the law leaves it so that people with money can get abortions, but poor women who want them cannot, that that's a system that's unfair? Well, look, I don't want anybody to get an abortion. I think it's not something that we should promote as a solution to a crisis. I think the taking of a life shows how morally unformed people's consciences are, quite frankly, that that's where we go. There's so many other options other than abortion. And, um, you know, as far as the poor, what you're going to find out here is that there's about 40,000 abortions per year in the state of Illinois. And the state currently pays for, I'm thinking about 300 total because we do have an exception in the Medicaid bill already that we pay for it. All you're going to do is you're now going to force taxpayers statewide to fund Planned Parenthood for their abortions. That's what's going to happen. Um, And Planned Parenthood is an organization that people freely donate to. So if poor people want an abortion, then Planned Parenthood could offer them free abortions, I guess. But instead, they don't do that. You know why? It's their biggest money maker. It's their biggest money maker. So, uh, you know, now you've just reversed it. Now you're forcing us to support places like Planned Parenthood, which, quite frankly, uh, Margaret Sanger was pretty much a racist. And no, there's no outcry from anybody on that. Now, and Planned Parenthood isn't the only recipient of the, uh, or wouldn't be the only. No, but they're definitely a large player in this sphere. Um, let me, oh, on uh, same-sex marriage. Sure. You, you said it's settled law. Does that mean you would not entertain or encourage any reversal of what the legislature's already passed? I, I no. I mean, it's federal law. You can't. You can't touch that. Um, let's talk about, you can touch things though, like, you know, state taxpayers paying for abortion. Mm -hmm. So things that we can, you know, that are reasonable that way, then you should, we, we will, you know, I would welcome a repeal bill. All right. Let's talk about governing. Sure. Because the last, the last nearly three years has been a great lesson. Maybe great's the wrong word in Mm -hmm. stalemate and putting Illinois into uh, I think, inarguably, a deeper financial hole than it was before. Um, how would that change under Governor Jeannie Ives? Well, first of all, <laughs> we, you're, there's you're a lot of lessons. The same people. No, I know there's a lot of lessons that we certainly learned over the last three years, right? But one of the biggest lessons that we learned is that you have to have the right policy people in positions that understand the policy. And we had a lot of hope in Governor Rauner, who would hopefully hire the right team, who would understand the issues. But quite frankly, he brought in a lot of folks who didn't understand holistically some of the policies at the state level and how they fit together and where they came from and what can and cannot be changed. And actually how to move that policy in a seamless way where you phase in a lot of stuff 
and and uh, and do that. He came in kind of with a sledgehammer approach. And uh, although I'm, it was in I'm a, commercials. You know, yes, and I'm kind of a sledgehammer person at times. I I get it from my military background, um, but uh, not when it comes to policy formation. You have to, you have to get folks on board. Everything from how he wanted to deal with municipalities to um, how he wanted to handle uh, procurement and, and, and other issues. You you have to get buy-in from the people that are affected by the policy. And he never sold his policy agenda, and he took on 44 points when he probably should have started with four. And uh, it was just too much at once rather than tailoring that. Now I will say this. If you're dealing with a, D- a Democrat-controlled legislature, then what you have to do is you have to focus on what you can affect, where you can affect change. And one thing he failed to take on was public corruption. He's the executive, and he should have really put in a policy to prevent and detect and to prosecute public corruption every time he saw it and put in sort of a more um, focus on what is our culture as it surrounds public corruption. There were a number of public corruption cases that he did not say one word on that affected people around the state. And he had the bully pulpit to do it. And you need strong leadership to take that on. And you need to highlight it, expose it, and get rid of it. Nip it in the bud. With that Democratic majority, uh, does that mean you have to use that that C word that seems to be such a bad one in uh, in Springfield, compromise? That I'm not that afraid you, of that word. Yeah, and and does that mean you have <laughs> to, in some cases, accept less than what your your goals would be? Well, certainly, uh, but you know, I'm not going to compromise when it, if it violates you know core principles or takes advantage of the taxpayers once again, or is just simply bad legislation. I mean, th- that's that's the art of the deal down there to some degree. Is is you know, look, we'll pass the legislation after it's been massaged by the lobbyists and all the special interests had had their little bite at the apple, and we'll come up with some marginal piece of legislation and then we'll even though we are opposed to it in the beginning we'll call it a compromise bill at which point it becomes great policy that is the wrong way to do things if it's bad policy it's bad policy i don't care if you already got all the buy-in from the lobbyists and the special interests and they all got their little piece of the pie if it's bad policy it's bad policy and i've seen too many instances where where legislation because it's been massaged or worked out or compromised on is then touted to be good. It's still bad policy. And we, uh, you know what? That's what we hired Governor Rounder to do. He was there to be the extraordinary analysis man at the final stage before the bill was signed and to say no when it did not make sense. And he did not do that. There's no way I can let a female lawmaker get out of here without commenting on the issue of sexual harassment in Springfield. Uh, what do you think of the allegations and what seems to to be coming of mandatory uh, harassment training? Well, you know, I guess the problem here is that mandatory harassment training is a start. It is not the final solution. What you have is a cultural problem down there, obviously, and leaders from the top down need need to very much model the best behavior, and when they find out about this, they need to confront it, expose it, and take care of it and ensure people that this is, will not be tolerated. This is a leadership issue. And what you saw is you saw both 
Mike Madigan and John Cullerton not even put in place the legislative inspector general that could have taken care of these 27 complaints that came up in a timely manner and showed these women some respect that we care about what you say and what's happening. And not all those uh, those 27 complaints were sexual in nature. Some of them were ethics complaints. But you have to take care of it. You can't put it uh, push it under the rug, especially when it's a, sub, a superior subordinate relationship. That is awful that that went on for so long. We got to get a handle on this. I, I'm fi- going to be filing a resolution. Hopefully others have already done so to demand that we immediately uh, put in place a legislative inspector general who's qualified to take care of these complaints. And we're going to, we're going to handle this. That's going to be the final word. Oh. Uh, thank you very much. That is Republican gubernatorial hopeful Jeannie Ives spending the half hour with us to our listeners. If you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website. That is cbschicago.com. Just follow the audio links. You can also find our podcasts on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. All star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.